Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome to the Blue Chip Academy podcast, the Blueprint to Success interview series providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practices to navigate the critical points in the elite sports ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. Our next guest from the DMV area, talent-rich area graduate of Gwen Park High School, first-round pick, 21st pick overall out of Baylor to the, by the Cleveland Browns, also spent some time with the Broncos and Redskins, man. Let's welcome Phil Taylor, man. What's up, bro? <laughs> long time, long time, man. How you been? Man, I've been great, man. You know, just try to kick some games to the to the youngins and some give us some uh some blueprints on how to go through this process, man. We all know that oh, yeah. it's not a straight line regardless of what. Everybody has their own path and how to get to it, you know what I mean? And just mm-hmm. jumping into your into your situation and just going through the process, man. Your journey through the process, transition from Penn State to Waco to a first-round draft pick, looking back on the recruiting process, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self about the recruiting process, knowing what you know now? Knowing what I know now, uh, I would have I took all my visits. Even if, I, even if I had a team in mind that I like, just take all the visits. They free. You know what I mean? Go out there and experience other campuses, other cultures, man. Just because, you know, everything, you know, saying three or four hours away from you ain't the same when you go down south or somewhere else. You know what I mean? You got to experience these other cultures. And uh, you never know what might change your mind, you know. And uh, you got to always be open to everything, you know. But uh, but you got to follow your heart when it comes to that. Oh, that's real, man. Just that level of exposure, right? When you're coming out of high school you're, you're, and you're typically in your city, you might travel around a little bit for the, the playing sports and things like that. But, like, getting those different mm-hmm. cultures coming from the DMV, whether it's going to Texas, going to – uh, I don't know California, yeah, I, wherever I, I it took, is. I took I took two visits. Took two visits. Where'd you go? I went uh Penn State and Maryland. That was it. <laughs> that was it. It was it was tough for me to get my visits uh during the football year because we ain't had no lights on our field, so uh, we played our games on Saturdays. Okay. So oh, we wow. was we we played our games Saturdays at two o'clock. Me playing under the lights was a oh. That was like a uh, blue moon, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, so that's I used you had to turn, we had to turn. You get light, you got to turn up, man. You know that, what I mean? So yeah, that's different, man. So like, I don't even think about that. I know you, you and uh, they got lights got, now. They got lights now. But when I was playing at, at Gwen Park, nah, we ain't had no lights. Well, it was could, it was a few schools in, in PG County that had lights, but yeah, most of them didn't. Wow, that's interesting. We say so. How did the recruiting process treat you? Like, I mean, you couldn't go to games and stuff on the weekend and different things of that nature. I mean, so when I went to uh, my Penn State uh, visit, I had to. Uh, I think I came up there like Saturday after our game, okay. And I kind of like met with Coach and uh, I stayed with Elijah and them. So I, I got there like Saturday night, basically, or whatever. And then they uh, did my little visit on Sunday. Yeah. So uh, it was a little different. I didn't really get to the. the uh, the field experience and stuff like that, going to the game. 
But uh, it was cool, though. But I think I went to a game once. It was like, when was it? Like me, Jerry. I think it was like one of these other big recruiting things. They they brought uh, it, it was a couple times I went up there because I did the Penn State camp, a bunch of stuff. So I, it was already set in stone. You know what I'm saying? I probably going to end up going to Penn State anyway. So. <laughs> no, that's real. So, I mean, you were a pretty big recruit coming out of the DMV area. So, like, how did the process treat you? Like, when did you start getting that, that, that attention? Uh, I got my first official offer probably like in 10th grade and I was just a big dude, man. I didn't really know, you know what I'm saying? What I wanted to do. Cause I, my ninth grade year, to be honest, my first day or two days, I quit. I was like, <laughs> hell no, nah. I, I wasn't used to it. You know what I mean? And my coach, coach Danny Hayes, man, he's a different breed. You know what I mean? And, uh, he stuck to it and my, and my teammates and my dad, my dad, man, he came up there the day I quit. He went on. He went straight to the field. He like maybe he was like out there. What field at? They were like, oh no, nah, he quit. So he went. The, he went in the locker room. I was walking out. You know what I'm saying? With my stuff on, finna. You know what I'm saying? Get ready to go. He was like, no, no, no. You gonna take your ass back in there? <laughs> and that and that was all she wrote. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, shoot. Just out of curiosity, how big were you in ninth grade? Ninth grade, shoot. I was probably like six two. Probably at least. 295, 300. <laughs> and he was, yeah. he was walking out of the uh, football joint. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah, that yeah, <laughs> was a bit much, man. We had state. I was dead. At, during, like, we had these little stations before practice. Yeah. And then uh, we had this one coach, Coach, coach Cornegay. His was always the first station. He called it the Viagra drill. He said, this one's going to make you a man. You're going to be a hard man after this one. But, like, yeah, it was like a big-ass <laughs> obstacle course, man. I was like, man, never again. But I, I started, man, after a while, I'm like, it wasn't nothing. That was just the beginning of the practice, you know what I mean? And then, like, shoot, we had to run after practice. Like, conditioning was never my thing. I hated it. But any short sprint, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm about to say, man, 6'2", 295 as a freshman. Like I said, you still, that's a big, that's a big move. That's big, big yeah. man moving around and all that good stuff. And you was always real twitchy and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Man, so – Coming from a talent-rich area like the DMV, who's your, like who's your top competition coming up out of high school? I mean, just out of in my position. Well, just across the board. I mean, you say you guys play Saturday. Just get an understanding of the type of players that you guys were playing against. So me, our rival was Friendly High School. Okay. Uh, Joe Hayden, you know, he came from out of there. Okay. Uh, we played uh, Suitland. You know, that's Navarro Bowman. Uh, Roosevelt, they ain't really want us too much. They was 4A. We was 3A. You know who went to Rose. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's up, D-Will? They ain't really want, they, they ain't want, they ain't want us too much on the schedule. They ain't want to take no big loss. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we had, a, we played a lot of dudes, man, to be like, uh, Evan Royster, you know what I'm saying? Uh, him, a few other people, man. We scrimmaged a lot of guys. But uh, like the inner city Maryland schools, we had a few few dudes, but uh, not not too many. Not too many. I always felt like, man, maybe we just got them all at Penn State. But I know after we got me and Derek got up there, I always tell people the story because our class used to get a lot of hype. Like, oh, Justin. Oh, yeah, the and- whole DMV, DC. Uh, people be like, DMV, they think it's like one little area. That's right. like we talking, you know what I'm saying? Talking the whole joint. <laughs> two other states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's different. It's real and- different. You tell cats all the time that class that came in after us, like I always correct people when they say, Hey, you guys had a top class. I'm like, man, we were we had a couple top guys and there were some good guys that ended up working out. I was like, the class that came after us, man, it was Phil, Navarro, Maven, uh, Jared yeah. Aldrick, uh, AJ, all y'all boys came big, in. I was big like, Abe, oh. Big Abe, Big Abe, Big Abe. I was like, 
was like, Barney. oh man, these dudes look different, man. I was yeah, like, it was, it was like yeah. everybody from the DMV area. Coach how did Jay. you how did you choose Penn, Jay, Penn State? You said what? How'd you choose Penn State? To be honest, man, it was like that year, even Ralph Friedgen told the Maryland guys, don't don't come back to the state of Maryland. Oh, because real? that year, I think eight or nine out of the top ten players in Maryland all committed to Penn State. And that was me, Navarro, Maven, Logan L, yeah, all them dudes. Yeah. Like we all committed to Penn State, and it was like I knew these dudes from around the way anyway. So I'm like, man, you know, what I'm saying the com- the camaraderie already gonna click because I know these guys. You know, what I'm saying from All Star games playing against them. So yeah, it was it was cool. Oh, that's amazing, man. Because you got set up Penn State big time, just recruiting wise and just talent in general. That was up there after yeah. that time, like for, for real, sure, for real, for sure. <laughs> Like Mo Evans was in that crew too. Shout out Mo. Bro, it's it's so many, so many. <laughs> Andrew was, Corliss, I keep thinking recruit. of guys like Corliss was in that crew. <laughs> yeah. Chris Bell. Chris Bell. Man, <laughs> that, man, I get I, I get goosebumps. I don't think cats understand how much talent they had in that recruiting class. Yeah, Coming but from- it's crazy, man, being down the line and you seeing, you know, what I'm saying how much talent and stuff, how 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 far these guys could go and how far like you think they would have went. You no, know this I mean? is a, this is really true, man. Like, and I really yeah. got appreciation for that class after I started recruiting at Penn State. You know, I was there with mm-hmm. the class we brought in Michael Parsons and Pat Fryermuth and all those guys. Oh yeah. Then the next guy, class dog. came in, you know, Brisker and these dudes. But I used to always like, man, your class was always like was my my measuring stick, right? Like, man, yeah, there's a defensive yeah. lineman. They're talking about big, twitchy, a- athletic guy. I always bring up a story of Phil coming in and going to the uh uh the diving board and Phil's, you know, 320 doing backflips off the diving board. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, bro. This is what athletes look like. You bank and everybody yeah, was kind of yeah. moving. It's different now, to be honest, man. They, 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 uh, they not make – it's a select few big dudes like I was coming out of uh, high school. True. But these newer guys, they, they leaner, man. They quicker, you know what I'm saying? Because – I feel like the game going with how the NFL, like everything's changing, you know what I'm saying? With the offenses, everything moving left to right, you know what I'm saying? It ain't that power no more. They trying, they kind of trying to take the physicality a little bit out of it, you know what I mean? But right. it's still going all right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because you, you get those stout ones, man. Like at the end of the day, we talk about like that power and quickness and all that stuff. Aaron Donald, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I mean, still fast, strong and all that good stuff. But, you know, this, the critical factors are the critical factors, man. Cause yep. havoc at the end of the oh, day. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> So tell me about the transition, man. You get to Penn State. Like, how's that transition from high school? You say Gwen Park, you guys playing Saturday, so it's not, you know, you would assume that it's, you know, you guys got great athletes, but just in terms of development of the whole program, if there's not, you know, those type of light situation, how was that transition into like big time football for you? It was a, it was a, it was a big transition. Just the culture, you know what I mean? The Penn State culture, and me coming from uh, PG County, you know, saying. Uh, African-American dominated, you know what I'm saying, area to Penn State, you know what I'm saying, where it's just so broad, so many different, you know what I'm saying, races, and it's crazy, you know what I'm saying, and it opened me up to a wide range of things, and uh, it, it was awesome, you know what I'm saying, I, I really enjoyed my time there, but uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying, I had to make things uh, work for the best for me, you know, so, you know, I had to move on. Ah, that's real, we'll get, we'll get to the, the transition to Waco in a little bit. But when you first got to college, did you have a welcome to uh, Big Ten football moment? Uh, I would say in practice. Okay. It, it, I would say practice, man, because going up against – the hardest thing is always going to go, going up against your own teammates because you go against them every day. They know your weaknesses. They know your strengths. And uh, 
I would say going up against like Big Rich and those guys, man. Rich Ornberger and those guys, man. And uh, I still remember to this day, you know what I'm saying? You always wanted to, on, on defense, you wanted that, that, that dark blue jersey. You know what I mean? That dark blue jersey, that means you with the ones. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it, it was always, man, a goal to, uh, you know, trying to get better, man. And, and always playing against better people always will get you better as well. No, that's real. And it's like a, a critical advantage just being in elite sports. What Phil's talking about with the blue jerseys is we had this culture of radical transparency at Penn State. So if you're on the first team, you had a blue jersey and on defense, you had a white jersey or vice versa, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it, second team, you had on defense, you had white jerseys on offense it was like green, red or whatever the case may be. But so we look like Skittles at practice, but everybody knew yeah. who was on first team, who was on second team, who was on scout team, and all that. So you couldn't really... You know, you couldn't hide where you were on the depth chart. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, now the jersey recognized you. I've got the green jerseys over there. You got demoted or whatever the case may be. Oh, but, yeah, uh, you never know. You might have that other jersey in your locker that day. You know what I mean? And and, and that's and that's how it is on the pro level. You know what I mean? You just got to you gotta roll with the punches, man, and always be ready. And that's one thing that the, the Penn State culture did have was uh, getting ready, get, getting guys ready for the next level. No, 100%. Did you feel prepared, like, physically when you got to Penn State? When you start getting on the field, uh, yeah, I was always a strong kid. Okay, and uh, but getting stronger, I feel like JT's program in the weight room was a good program, but more uh, his program was focused on uh, endurance mm-hmm. instead of really raw strength. Because mm-hmm. to be honest, we we ain't really free weight with JT. Oh, we right. worked the thirty on the leg press. You know what I mean. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and we do it. He'll kill you on the neck, whatever. That, <laughs> I used to hate. <laughs> but uh, other than that, yeah, he wasn't no big freeway guy. I felt like I got stronger at uh, my strongest was at Penn State by far. Okay, with uh, C- Coach Coscozzi, not Penn State, but at Baylor with uh, Coach Coscozzi. Just based on how they were different, like the training there. Mm-hmm. So when we it's talk just about a different. You know what I'm saying? I felt like JT. He was more, you know, he had a military background. You know what I'm saying? That's more endurance-based, you know what I mean, and not just raw strength and free weight and things like that. When I got down to Baylor with Coach uh, Coach Cos, man, we power cleaning, squatting, front squatting, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the shit I'm talking about right here. You know what I mean? And it was just a different ball game, and it, it, it suited me better, you know what I'm saying, my body type, you know what I'm saying, the type of player I was. And not – and then we talk about that when we're talking to players going through the process and how to evaluate schools. Because, like, the one piece I think I overlooked is sometimes the weight room, right? We talk about, like, what's yeah. the philosophy of the weight room? What are they going to do? Because you always think, like, all right, I'm going to go to the school. I'm just going to lift weights. But, like, you have to yeah. have to have, like, a mutual beneficial relationship with that person that's telling you what's going on and the type of stuff. Because I had the same issue, whether it was, you know, coming from high school, whether it's track background and doing more power lifting. So, like, that explosion looking for it. But, yeah understanding that their goal or their methodology in it was, uh, like you said, strength, endurance, and not getting hurt. Like that was, yeah, yeah. that was Joe's thing. And like, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was sure. a, it was a give and take amongst, I know I used to butt heads with the strength coach, strength staff and stuff. And people hear me talk about it all the time. But that's a very important point, especially like as a defense alignment and you're like coming into your own and physicality from 18. Oh yeah. Like me, if old. I was the, you know what I'm saying? Ever, get back in the uh or get in the culture, my D line they gotta be in the weight room. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh one of the coaches I had in the league, uh Jim Tom Sewer, uh was my, well, my two years in uh okay. Washington. 
he was big on the weights. He was like, if you ain't got 600 pounds on your back, you can't play for me. Like, like that type of guy. You know what I mean? Like when, when the D line in the weight room, he in the weight room. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, that's that type of guy. <laughs> that's the type of defensive line, but I, yeah, I wish you, like you said, moving that weight because it's, it's real in there in the trenches, man. It's like, for sure, for sure. It's like, I mean, interesting because like your freshman year, you came in the second half of your freshman season. Mm-hmm. How was it mentally getting ready? Because typically when guys, I mean, when they, they, I mean, guys typically shut it down. If they're not in playing at the beginning and different things of that nature, yeah. you came in, start making an impact and play the rest of the year. How was your mental at the beginning of the, that season, your freshman year? It was, it was good, man. I felt like it was all surreal and I was just trying to basically do what I can for the team. You know what I'm saying? As a freshman, everything was new to me. You know what I'm saying? Playing at, you know what I'm saying, at the, uh, Ohio State field for the first time, being out there in the night game when Ohio State played with us, you know what I mean, it played us. I mean, it's crazy, like, how loud the stadium was mm-hmm. and things like that. But uh, it, it was different, you know what I'm saying? Coming from high school to playing as a freshman in the Big 12 where they, they gritty and the and the double teams is coming every other play, yeah. you, had, you, had, you had to get real quick, you know what I'm saying? You had to get right quick and you had to know your stuff and – uh. I was we was blessed as a D line to have a guy like Larry Johnson, you know, to help us, you know what I'm saying, and, and tell us what we need to do in certain situations. Absolutely, man. He got you guys right and he was always on point with just the technique and the as being a technician, right? And did the proper job of the talent acquisition mm-hmm. when you look across the board because y'all were some big dudes. You, Jared, Bake, man, just causing havoc, got Maven on the edge, Mo Evans. I'm, if I forget yeah, anybody, can't forget my first year we had Big Ed. You Big know what Ed, saying? Big I was even th- I was just thinking about your class. I was even thinking about yeah. the older guys. We was got. the young dogs. And we yeah. looking up to them. You know what I mean? They already knew it. Yeah, that's Ed Johnson, Scott Paxton, all I mean, oh, yeah. Tom Bahali's and that right before that, right before you get there. So we we talking about college. I mean, Penn State, Waco, all those different things. How do you think you would have capitalized on that NIL situation if you were in school? Man, it, 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 I don't know. I mean, I feel like. It, it depends on what it what it like. I really can't say what I would have done. Like it, it would have been cool, right. you know. What I'm saying I feel like the ni the nil deal thing now is great, and uh, it, it will level the playing field when it comes to recruiting in schools because guys not going to be just going to the big schools just to go to the big schools. They're going to be now. Guys are going to be like, hey, I might not make it to the NFL. But damn, I know I'm damn sure good now, and I can get an NIL deal going to this smaller school, and I can help my family out. You know what I mean? That's and guys going to be looking at it at different situations. And I think it's another thing is good because it's going to show guys how to handle money earlier, and, and not have to uh, worry about that as soon as they get to the league. You know what I mean? Because even at Baylor, man, any like back when I was in college, man, they gave us what? If you living off campus, you getting about five, six hundred dollars a month. Yeah, that's about it. And shoot, and shit, what, 60% of that probably going to rent. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, this NIL deal going to help guys out a lot. And it's going to show the NFL how guys is before they give them all that money. This so is true. So you got a guy out there, you know what I'm saying, blowing all his NIL deals and doing dumb stuff, that's going to be a red flag. I never even thought so about, I never, I never even thought about that. 
I've never even thought about that, like them blowing the money and that going in into the evaluation process of another point of like how they're being evaluated. We always talk about like, oh, it's going to mess them up, but you're com- you're 100% right. It's just another evaluation point for these scouts and stuff to understand like, mm-hmm. oh, did he return this company that called him back? Is he responsive? Just like what type of pre- professional is he at yeah. that time? Because you're, you get a chance to kind of show, you know, what it, you it got going on. It gives these college guys a little bit more responsibility to work, to, to do. And at the same time, it still gives them a incentive. You know what I mean? And uh, I feel like I feel like these younger guys are, are smarter than we were. And uh, I feel like they're gonna do they they gonna uh, they gonna do good with the NIL deals. You are gonna have a few guys that you know, what I'm saying, a few bad apples is going you know, what I'm saying, trick it off or whatever. But that's gonna happen. You right. know what I mean? But most of these guys are gonna use it for you know, what I'm saying, good reasons. And the ones that do, at least they're only 18, 19 years old, and there's a level of like taking that uh, that hit pill. Because we used to hit it when we used to go to the bowl games, get those yeah. bowl checks. <laughs> oh, that, we live for those. <laughs> live we for live the bowl for checks. The bowl checks is yeah. gone, man. <laughs> a lot, but a lot, a lot of teams. You couldn't tell uh, me about that. A lot of teams, like after I got to the league, a lot of team, college teams, man, they, they travel together as a team, so they ain't really get the bowl checks like that. They just travel as a team down there. So I'm like, yeah, I'm glad we had it the way we had it. <laughs> yeah. Jumping on that flight, give us that check. Go find the cheapest flight. Boys be For sure. Man, For whatever. Sure. Six layovers. I'm keeping as much money as I need. <laughs> I think what? That one, uh, what was the, the 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 last bowl game when I was there we went to? At the Alamo? Outback? Is that Alamo? Outback? Alamo. It might have been Alamo. Maybe San Antonio. Yeah, I think was... we got like, well, I think our bowl tax was probably like two, three bands. But for us back then, that was good. That was it, man. Spend <laughs> yeah. a couple hundred on the ticket, keep the rest in the yeah. pocket. Nah, that's oh, yeah. that's crazy, man. That memories with that, right? <laughs> Curveballs sure, and detours sure. we talk about happening in this game and everything. So Phil transferred to Baylor. Can you take us through a little bit of that process of transitioning from Penn State to Baylor? Because you know things yeah. happen. Yeah, things happen, man. Like I said, with the whole uh, Penn State thing and the off-campus fight, you know what I'm saying, and uh, what was it, the outside the lines report and stuff. But oh, it, it was oh, two separate shits. So it was the outside the lines joint with the downtown joint and then our shit that was on on campus. So just and, so, just, uh, to, just the level set, what he's talking about, he's talking about the downtown outside the lines situation where six players got arrested. I was one of the six players in that whole little, there's some stuff downtown, you know, read the stuff, read the reports or whatever the case may be. But then a little bit time later, another situation happened and, you know, it was just kind of crossed up a hot time up at Penn state in the yeah. moment, but you can go ahead. And, and, and that whole thing, it was, uh, we all learned from it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Cause that, Cause what we I got suspended for uh I think I ended up getting suspended one game to be honest me and Navarro I think was the only people that I think got suspended for one game or and maybe Chris mm-hmm. but uh yeah and then but that following uh spring we couldn't be on campus we got suspended from campus so I had to get a job work out there it, it was crazy man it, it the funny thing about it and a lot of people ain't know J J T. He he actually like when I when I couldn't work out with a team when Joe Paul said we couldn't work out with a team, JT took it upon himself. I used to work out at JT House. I had to drive out to JT House, and he'd be having me putting bricks in the wheelbarrow in his backyard, doing shit like that. His kid being the in the wheelbarrow, and I'm working out like that for real. He Joe Paul found out about that shit and told him he'd fire him if he worked me out again. What? Then, I didn't then the know track that. Coach, 
Bro, then the track coach was working us out. The guys who he suspended was working us out at the track joint, like in the sand pits, all that. He found out about that, put an end to that. So after that, we was basically on our own. We couldn't do nothing. So he was basically throwing us out to dry. And at the end of the day, I was like, man, I got to start fresh. Because even he was talking about, yeah, you're going to reinstate us, you know what I'm saying, when camp start or whatever. I'm like, man, I'm going to start fresh because – just felt Ain't it. no really getting out of Joe Pa's doghouse. Once you're in Joe Pa's doghouse, you can go ahead and hang it up. You know what I mean? And once you've been labeled by him, you know what I'm saying? And he old school dude. He, you know what I'm saying? It's over. So, and at the time, Coach uh, Norwood took the defensive coordinator job down at Baylor. And uh, one of uh, Coach Johnson's old GAs, Coach Chris Acuff. Okay. He was a defensive line coach down there at Baylor with uh, – Coach Norwood. So I went on down there and transferred with Coach Norwood, man. man how but it was, was that, a good transition. Yeah, that was an interesting tra- – not even an interesting transition, but how was that tra- transfer process? Did you have any trouble, like, getting your papers signed and getting down there and all that all that good stuff? Because that was prior had, to the transfer portal. Only the – one coach at Penn State didn't want me to transfer, and it'd be weird that co- – Coach uh, – Coach Johnson thought it was the best idea for me to go down with Coach uh, Norwood, which it truly was. Only one coach wanted me to really stay there. Was the who was the linebackers coach at the time? Vanderland. Coach Vanderbilt. Vanderland. Yeah. Coach Vanderland. Yep. He, he was the only one. He was like, "Man, I heard about you. He, just try to make it work." I was like, "Nah, it ain't gonna work." Ain't hey, he gonna wanted work. the linebackers to run free, man. He, wanted- he, he knew. He knew what was up. <laughs> he knew what was up. He knew what was up. <laughs> But yeah, I just had to do what was best for me. <laughs> man. Phil taking up double teams, man. We can't get man. Stay here, man. Please. <laughs> that, that's yeah. funny. No, that's a cool story about JT looking out, man. That's a, that's a, that was a cool for sure, uh, thing. Man. Just for about sure. the staff up there in general. They, I think they care because, like, even when we got in trouble, like the little scuffle before Coach Norwood yeah. took out of his time when they had all the outside the lines and the cameras outside our dorms. Like, no, nah, come over to the house, hold it down, we'll keep you out of the way, and like, and really supported us while we were going through some stuff and like you said it was a learning experience and a growing experience yeah. for all of us man so that's uh i mean just a reflective story on that piece we'll just take a quick break do a lig sports read so this episode of blue chip academy is brought to you by lig sports group an executive sports firm that focuses on the critical points of the sports ecosystem starting with the recruiting process with blue chip academy doing in that college level we do group licenses development with business development and strategic partnerships and using that uh, expertise moving on to the executive side doing talent acquisition practices through this elite sports ecosystem helping companies find their next executives using the same methods that we use in elite sports so anytime you guys have a question or check out um lig sports group in the link below jump back into this but yeah, man. So you talk you talk about the transition to Blair. So I mean, Central PA. You said it was already different coming from the DMV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived in Dallas for six years. So when you get down to Waco. How was that? It it was another culture shock. <laughs> it was another culture shock, and it was awesome. And I'm a type of person I love all people, and I loved it. When I got down to Baylor, I was like, dude, it was it was awesome. Like it was like uh uh. Beautiful campus, one side of the, but you got to stay on the right side of the highway. Like this side of the highway, the campus is on. Cool. This side is the Waco, Waco. You know what I mean? That's where, 
and all the coaches say, yeah, don't go on the other side of the highway. You know what I mean? Like that. But it was cool, man. And just meeting new people. Like the the quickest thing was uh, it was like, damn, why you talk so fast, man? I'm like, I'm from up north, bro. Like and the bro, that's why I probably got that from Texas. Texas people said that most of the time. And uh yeah, and just the lingo and stuff. But it it was a cool transition. And I was blessed to, man, just to, you know what I'm saying, be able to transfer and still, you know what I'm saying, come out, come out on top. No, 100%. And, I, and that was great that, you know, Coach Norwood was down there, too, when you got there, man. That's one of my, obviously, one of my favorite coaches still in my career. Shout out to Coach Norwood and all that good stuff. But when you talk about just the Texas culture a little bit, I mean, you said it was different coming outside of Penn State. But, like, going through that a little bit deeper, because, again, when I lived in Dallas, I mean, outside of the city limits, started leaving, it's like, hey, man, it's a little sketchy out here, man. All that, yeah, all yeah. that. How, like, did you have to take time to transition to the culture, or were there other players from the DMV down there at all? Was everybody on the team from Texas? It was mostly because uh, at Baylor at the time, because I didn't really know about Baylor till I was on my way down there. Basically, I was like, "Damn, how many games they didn't want?" I didn't look last three years, just three and nine, three and nine, three and nine. And this was Coach Brown's first year, so he he bringing in a whole new regime, and that's when he brought in Coach Norwood and them guys. So, but it it, it was cool, man. It was like the heat was different. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but once I got used to that, because I got big, man. Because once I, because I thought I was done for a second, and I was like, man, this school don't want me. You know what I mean? I'm like. Now I'm going to go, like, if I don't want to sit out, I got to go D2. I ain't, so I, I gained a bunch of weight. I was close to probably 400 pounds when I got down to Baylor, bro. Oh, wow. Still look the same, still nimble. Yeah. But just big. Just big. Yeah. And I, I literally worked out for a month in that heat and got on the scale. I was down to, like, 365, bro. And I and I just kept going down lower and lower. And uh, I think the lowest I got down to when I was at Baylor was probably like 315, 310. 310. How did that affect – I know it was a different style of play too, coming from the Big Ten. We were playing Michigan, Ohio State, the ground and pound. You get down there, it's like air raid central all over the place. How was that oh, transition yeah. for you from a, for a D-line Going from standpoint? Big Ten to the Big 12, I ain't know what to do. I'm like, I'm getting mad out there. I'm like, dude, everything they keep throwing these little quick screens. I'm I'm playing those. Ain't only few schools in the Big Twelve when I was down there going ground and pound. You had uh, Nebraska, not not yeah Nebraska. At the time, Nebraska they were in the north part of the Big Twelve when they had it split up. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, they're gonna do both. Uh, who else? Texas gonna run it. But like Texas Tech, I remember one guy. Texas Tech had seventy-seven snaps in that joint. These dudes were the like the like I I swear they made the hurry up offense. It got so bad they had new receivers running on the field before the one receiver even got tackled. That's how quick they was going. Like we had to tell them like, hey, they running people on the field before the play even over, because they getting like they was really. Like before, like they have blow the whistle. They was running another play within like seven or eight seconds from that, from them blowing the whistle. Yeah, that's a fact because just so you, all the listeners, when I was at the XFL, we were getting the game clock down. Sam Sorstein would appreciate this. We're getting the game clock down. We were studying all the fast offenses that were out there, and definitely Texas Tech was one of those teams where it was just like, look, showing the coaches, Stoops, all these different guys, Pep Hamilton, like these. This is how 
players or teams kind of operate with this fast, uh, operate under this fast play clock. And you just see the wheel spinning. But that, that's true. We watched oh, yeah. all and, Big 12 and, films. And teams like, like that got big depth, depth at wide receiver. Okay. Probably got 20 wide receivers um, all just like ready to go. It's crazy, man. But it, it was a good experience because it, it uh, it, it it did help me when it came to conditioning because I was out there doing running left to right every play. <laughs> oh, that's real. So you get to the end of your career down at Baylor. So how does the agency process work? Because we know that agents a lot of times get connected about close people to you and different things like that. Obviously, it goes national. But um, how was the agency selection process? How did that go for you? So the fir- my first year down at Baylor, since I was transferring to another D1 school, you had to sit out one year. Mm-hmm. But since I didn't redshirt at Penn State, I just used it as a red shirt. Mm. Okay. So my uh, so I set that up, that year out and used it as a red shirt. Then my next year, that my first year playing, uh, what was that? Two thousand nine. But after my junior year, my junior year there, I was gonna leave after my first year playing. Okay. I feel like I had an RA season or whatever. But you call in and you can get your draft grade as a junior. And uh, this will really humble me. And I called in, and uh, I was home with my parents. You know what I'm saying? I went away, and Coach Norwood knew that I was I was thinking about it. And he was like, well, just, you know what I'm saying, call in, get your draft grade, and think about it. And, man, I called them, and they was like, right now, sixth round undrafted. I'm like, all right, I'm going back to school. I ain't doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because uh, I know – they they tell that to a lot of guys just to you know keep guys in because they don't want everybody leaving early. Mm-hmm. But I was like, nah, I ain't doing that. So I stayed, worked my ass off, and then uh, yeah, come um, my senior year, got selected for the senior bowl, balled out in that, and then that's when my draft stock really raised right there. So it was the and senior, my, it was the senior bowl performance that you think kind of helped your draft stock, or you think you practice, had a good senior? Yeah, year? the practice because because. Every day in practice, we doing one on ones against the best, you know, what I'm saying O line in the country, and me and uh, my guy Danny uh, Shelton, not Danny, yeah, that, not Danny Shelton, that, that was in Cleveland, but Big Danny, he played O line at Baylor. We both got drafted first round that year, okay. and uh, yeah, we both was up there just dogging these dudes, and uh, yeah, that's what basically we went basically two picks between each other. So that's amazing. So when Phil's talking about he gets drafted 21st overall, take me through that first day of rookie minicamp. Everyone talks about, you know, we get drafted, you get in there, and then you get there and it's like, all right, rookies, come on in. Let's go through this uh, first grind time. How was that for you? Well, let me get back to the Asian part, though. My bad. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I forget. We, we skipped that. But uh, the whole agent, pro- the agent process was uh, – I ain't really talked to too many. I had, a, I had Peter Schaefer. Okay. He was Jordan's uh, agent, Coach Norwood's agent, Coach Johnson. I think he was maybe Coach Johnson's agent, but he had some guys. Um, Jimmy Sexton was another one on my list, and uh, Drew Rosenhaus. Mm. And I ended up going. Uh, I felt like at the time, I think the most genuine one was uh, was Peter Schaefer. You know, and uh, still to this day, I mean, I, even though I'm retired, I still consider him my agent. Yeah, you know what I mean, and. Uh, yeah, did you have I mean, a, prior it's a long process? Did you have huh? a prior relationship with him before the process, or was it like you just met him when you started nah. interviewing people? Well, uh, Coach Coach Norwood introduced us, okay. you know, and uh, yeah, and that was, and he was there, you know, what I'm saying to make, you know, what I'm saying to you make the introduction and stuff like that. 
But yeah, it was uh it was cool. And I had the three. I met with all three and I ended up going with Peter Schaefer and uh yeah, I mean he he got he got me a deal, so yeah, it was cool. <laughs> That's what's up. That's You have any advice for guys like selecting agents because you know the dynamics out here have changed a little bit. Just the different ways the NIL guys are signing and you know getting in bed with different uh, representatives at an earlier age. Do you? Yeah. Do your due diligence do you do on diligence? anybody because you know what I'm saying every agent ain't for everybody. Because Jared Odrick had Peter, but then he fired him. You know right. what I mean? Everybody ain't for everybody. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? Me and Peter, we had our differences, and we we moved on, and, you know what I'm saying, we good. But, uh, you know what I'm saying, everybody has their ups and downs. You know what I mean? And uh, But I would say to the younger guys, just do your due diligence. And, uh, yeah, man, make sure you interview with, you know what I'm saying, all these guys and, and – Show, make them show you show you their resume. What kind of deals are you getting for guys? You know what I'm saying? How many guys you got? You know, I mean, a lot of these bigger guys, they got a bunch of people under them. You know what I'm saying? A bunch of other little agents under them. And don't sign with a guy thinking you only going to be dealing with him. You know what I'm saying? Peter was uh, – I was blessed enough with Peter. He was a small uh, – he was a big agent, but – a smaller company. Gotcha. It was just him and one other guy. You know what I mean? Like that. And uh, I felt like that was better for me because I don't like to be, you know, passed along. Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I need you. You come in to recruit me, I'm going to talk to you. You know what I'm saying? So, I know you. That's my relationship. Is that's what you. I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the other bigger agencies got five or six other people, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know what I'm saying? This is the guy for this, this is the guy for that. You know what I mean? And nothing wrong with that, but I just, I felt like uh, with Peter, it was more of a personal relationship. You know what I mean? I hung out with the family. You know what I'm saying? He felt more like family. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's what I went with that. And, yeah, when picking an agent, you, you got to you gotta look at them as family because they're going to be the ones that's getting you the deal to put the food on the, uh, the plate for your family. So, yeah, that's what I would say. That's a great piece, man, because, I mean, agent game is, is all over the place, right? You know, guys coming all over the place from all over and like you said having a big agency is cool and finding Danny but you have to have a relationship with who's dealing with you so guys that are coming out and looking for that representative representative that's perfect like that's a match for you make sure that they're providing yeah. value and like like Phil said show his resume and what he's done because you don't want to get me passed around there's a lot of avenues within this game and this elite sports ecosystem especially when you start transitioning to the NFL where you want to have somebody that's a Swiss Army knife and has the right connections in the right areas yeah. to, you know, service you as a professional athlete because it's a, yeah, it's like a wide how many, spectrum. How many con- like, yeah. How many contracts have you negotiated? You know what I mean? If you like uh, five or six, nah, that ain't enough. You got to, you know what I'm saying? If you a big time agent, you got to, you know what I'm saying? You got to have a lot of contract you didn't negotiate it. So, yeah. No, oh, that's real. Seeing those, those, those zeros, those man, those zeros matter. For sure. For sure. <laughs> So jumping back into the about making that transition to the NFL, get drafted. And I always know, you know, get drafted. You talk to your coach, everybody after the excitement gets down, you reach your dream, and now you like report to minicamp or whatever the case may be. How did you feel going into your first rookie minicamp? It was different for us because we I can I came in the, the year of the lockout, ah, so okay. we, you know, what I'm saying we didn't really get to get that uh, that rookie camp early. Like my first time going into the facility 
you know what I'm saying, with the rest of the team wasn't until late July. Yep. And usually, you know what I'm saying, the team get back together April, but it's been the lockout. So we really, like, they barely could send us plays. You know what I'm saying? They sent us, like, a little playbook pamphlet or whatever we can, you know what I'm saying, learn a little bit. But they they really couldn't do too much. You know what I mean? And basically, we just had to work out until we got the call. And and Jordan was playing with us that year, and we were both working out in Naples, Florida. And uh, they was like, yeah, they were like, all right, we got the call. We're going to have to be back so-and-so day. Me and Jordan, we basically left like 11 o'clock at night one day. We both drove from Naples all the way up to Cleveland, bro. Oh, like, me. we took two stops for like 30 minutes each, and that was it. Man, we was, we yeah. left at like 11 o'clock uh, the night before and got there like 5 p.m. the next day. Oh snap! Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a surreal time, man. Young that days, lockout, young everybody days. was. Yeah, I must say everybody was getting in. You talk about get up, drive. Well, I don't know how many was that twelve? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even hours, dare try to do like that, that now. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that was crazy. So we talk about that transition from the Big Ten to the Big Twelve, from ground and pound to the spread. How's that transition from the Big Twelve back to the NFL? Is a defensive lineman. It, it kind of gives you a mixture because okay. the the uh, the NFL is all the conferences basically, and they they do it all. You know, it just depending on. Uh, and I happen to go to the the AFC North, mm-hmm. and we and uh, I learned they they we call that the black and blue division, and basically, you know, what I'm saying it's Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. You know, the gritty teams. I call it that's the gritty four. Really, out of the NFL, the gritty four is the AFC North. And uh, yeah, playing Pittsburgh twice a year, Cincy twice a year, Baltimore twice a year against guys like Marshall Yonder, uh, Ben Grubbs, freaking who else? Uh, yeah, them dudes. Dudes, man. <laughs> yeah, you learn. You, you had to learn quick, man. You had to learn quick. And that's real. You said the black and blue, the black and blue conference, man. Like dealing with injuries in professional sports is always a, a just a strenuous thing and I mean it was a is a thing that I had to bear going through it. How did you mentally oh, yeah. handle the injuries in the NFL? It was tough. Uh it was truly the injuries really the the, the things that really stopped me at the end, but uh cuz I really never had a major surgery until I got to the pros. And uh I had a little MCL at Penn State, wasn't that bad. Nothing really at Baylor, turf toe. Got to the NFL, rookie year is fine. Second year, tore my pec. That was my first surgery right there. Missed the first eight games, came back. Then the next year, like five or six games in, I do something with my meniscus. The shit just not right. Like my knee like clicking and shit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. You know what I'm saying? Cleveland said, oh, we're going to go in and scope it. You know what I'm saying? And then you'll be back in three weeks. Shit still wasn't right. I'm like, damn, what's going on with my shit? So I'm like, I'm talking. Another reason, call my agent. Hey, what, what should we do? He was like, hey, well, you can get a second opinion. Uh, he flew me down to, uh, the team flew me down to Florida with Dr. Andrews to get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. He saw what it was right there. I had to miss that season. He had to put, what, 12, uh, 12 sutures in the back of my meniscus. Dang. So whatever... The doctor at Cleveland, they ain't really see what was wrong. They just cleaned out the front. They ain't really do the due diligence and see everything and had me out there playing again and shit wasn't right. So that's how I had to go get a second opinion. And then shit, next year they threw me right back in the fire. My shit wasn't right yet. And then after that, I was like, man, 
just go ahead and do what you do. You know what I'm saying? So they released me, and then I spent the year rehabbing, and uh, and then that's when Denver picked me up on a futures contract. Okay. And then I go, I go there. Was doing good. I was up there, and then we start camp. I ain't really clicked too well with the D line coach up there, so it was already a little bit of friction in there. Then I went down with a little minor uh, MCL, and I already, you know what I'm saying, could read the writing on the wall after that because he was waiting for some yeah. shit to happen. Gotcha. And uh, spent another year rehabbing, and then that's when Washington picked me up. And uh, what happened there? Yeah, Washington gave me – I worked my way. That's basically two years without football, and then I, I, I started playing for Washington. Worked my way up to starter, uh, third preseason game. Tore my quad off the bone, second play of the game. Dang. Out that season. It was crazy. Out that season. Then they uh they extended me one year. They 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 was they was blessed enough to extend me one year. And then man, I hate to say it, but freaking Joe not Joe, but uh Jay Gruden, man. Just bad coaching part. He had us going live goal line. Ones ones versus ones. NFL, live goal line, ones versus ones, and the O-line can cut. Uh, yeah. MCL, boom, right there. Came back in 10 days. Like, like that's one thing I can say. I can come back from a motherfucking injury. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I learned that quick how to get back. But the shit, like, after that, it was just – the after the quad, really, after being out two years and then the quad after, you know what I'm saying, working myself all the way up to be a starter – it hurt mentally and uh, physically. It, it, I could have played, but I think I hung it up more because on a on a mental aspect, I just got tired of you know what I'm saying, just going through the the rehab process and all that. Man, that is the realest thing, bro. Like by the time you have those injuries, like you said, if they're not super, I mean, even if they are super serious, right? Like my fresh my rookie year, head to toe, and like just going over whether it's a tear here or a strain there. Just yeah. the mental fortitude to go through the rehab process to get back out because, you know, you're in the NFL, you swim with sharks on a daily basis. So to have any type of ailments or to the point where you can't perform where you want to perform, it's always, like you said, it's a mental mental warfare. I always thought that was something that was just heavy when I played in the league. Did you feel like support? I mean, obviously, did you not feel supported from the team when you were, when you were injured or was it kind of? To a certain degree, to a certain but at degree. the same time. At the same time, they want you back as quick as possible. You know what I'm saying? They they want to know is he going? You know what I'm saying? Are you coming back quick, or you know what I'm saying? We gonna have to get somebody else. You know what I mean? And that's the thing about the NFL, man. It sucks when guys get hurt, and you know, because unless you like, you know, what I'm saying solidified guy, if you get hurt, man, you might as well. You don't know where you might be. You know what I mean? And it's tough. And that messes up guys' just relationship with, just, I think, just the medical professionals, right? Because at the end of the day, like you said, the doctors mess up, mess up, mess up your MRI. They don't see what exactly wrong with what's going exactly. on with you, and you have to find out somewhere else. And sometimes you're in the back of your head, like, was that on purpose? Did they not give me the right thing? Because I did the same thing. Oh, this is here. I go see another doctor. It's like, this yeah, because is- they got me back, and it was like, oh, you'd be good in three weeks. I came back in three weeks. We played Cincinnati on a Thursday night, still balled out. But my knee wasn't right. The right. shit was like 
popping out of place and shit like that. So I'm like, nah, man, shit ain't right. And they all they saying was, you just, you know, saying you just got to give it time. I'm like, nah, that ain't it. That's that's it. And, and it's and, funny that you say that because yeah. when you in the NFL, it's up to you as a professional to kind of fight back on the doctors. And like through your whole career coming up in high school, it's like get back out there in college. It's they kill you, whoever it is, when you're hurt. You don't really get a chance to listen to your body on how to maneuver or when to say like, all right, no, nah, I need to take care of myself because like, I mean, you learn the hard way to get to the league. Ain't no sucking it up and limping out there. There's no excuses when you get beat on the field or any excuses oh, when yeah. you lose a rep. Like that's that's your resume. Like it's better to have no film yeah, you, than bad yeah, film. You you sl- you slacking in the league, you're gonna be packing your bags. <laughs> they not playing. And I learned that quick in Cleveland. You know what I'm saying? Cleveland. I was just talking about it the other day. One of my buddies, man, I was there my first year. They had a long snapper there that was there nine, ten years straight. He had a, a streak of two games where he had some bad snaps in them games. Cut him. I'm like, this dude been there damn near a decade. And two games, all it took, they they don't care no more. It's crazy, man. That is, man. People don't know. Sometimes the it's actual. It's a business. It's, it's, it's a business. It's yeah. to the to the umpteenth power, right? Starting in the high school level. Like, as soon as you go, step on step on a scale at a college campus, you're in the business, right? With the, the way that the coaches and recruiting staff, the way we talk about players, it's a mm-hmm. business decision. We're looking for somebody else to, to fill your role. We're making oh, yeah. sure so that we have leverage. They're looking for the next person to replace you. Immediately. I tell players that all the time. Oh, yeah. As soon as I find one player, my next, I wouldn't leave the office until I found two other players. Just in case you play me and don't pick up my call next day, I'll never feel stressed out or left up to a player. And I tell them from where I'm at now, now your job is to create leverage and make sure that you're better than everybody that's specialized when the coach is looking at you. Because at the end of the day, we know the sport of football is a level of commoditizing a player. And to be special, you have to do different stuff. So, I mean, did you know that? Did you know it was when it was time to retire, or you said it was like just a mentally, like I'm I'm sick of it. Like, how did you know it, when was, it was time to go? Because after, because uh, to be honest, I thought I was gonna make the team and uh, in Washington my last year, even though I got hurt. And uh, me me and the D line coach, we we was close, and uh, he was one of the D line coaches, Jim Tom Sula, and uh, I respect this guy because no coach in my life. The first day, this was his first year there too. First day, the D line come in the D line room. First hour of the meeting. You think we talk about football? This no. <laughs> what, what you what? To be honest, what you think we talked about? First hour, uh, where everybody came from, everybody's nope. background. No? Guess what he had on the board? Compound interest. He wanted guys to get played, get paid playing football. And he told he was just, he just uh, talked about compound interest, talking about how you manage your money, things like that for the first hour. He I don't care about football. I want you guys to get paid playing football. And he did it as a, a level. Everybody ain't gonna get paid playing football as the the top twenty two guys. Your top twenty two guys is obviously your starters on offense and defense. So it'll go from twenty two then you got uh thirty. You want to get paid being a top thirty three guy. If you top thirty three guy, that means you're a special teams guy. You know what I'm saying? Then he go to where like the top 
to almost the word, like right before practice squad, you okay. know what I'm saying? Just making the 53 man roster. Yeah. Once you make that 53 man roster, you still getting a minimum wage in the league. Mm-hmm. So he told us all about that. And then that's when he started going over football. That's amazing. So, so he was yeah. on that using sports as a catalyst and just like you monetize this game while you're here. And this is where you, this is where you're at. Like this is, these are the goals that you want to get to if you're the top 33. I like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got a lot of respect and for that. He was a guy, like he, he coached football. Uh, at a point in time, for almost ten years, he coached NFL and NFL Europe. So he coached two, two, two leagues a year for almost ten years. Yeah, I love ball. And and he gave, he gave a whole perspective. You know what I'm saying? Because NFL Europe, he they didn't give they didn't pay him that much to be out there in NFL Europe. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, he he gave us a whole perfect uh perspective. You know what I'm saying? Of different things and. He's just a uh, Italian coach that grew up in the, the streets in Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, he white white Italian dude looked like he got ties with the mafia. <laughs> yeah, he don't. Yeah, he don't. He don't take no shit either. You know what I mean? And but he he a real one, man. To this day, man, I respect what, that guy. That's what's up, Coach John Sula, man. Another Pittsburgh guy. That's like shout out to him, man. Because just it's oh, yeah. like I love hearing about real coaches that give that game because. There's a lot of value to be given, and then you may sometimes in the college space and or wherever wherever it is now, you know, colleges coaches are making so much money that that transition of feeding into the player athlete development kind of changes into like, how can I be the best coach? What is it about my scheme? What is it about this? You know, mm-hmm. we've seen the egotistical coaches all throughout, especially it's like an ego pool when you get to the league because guys are at the top of their profession. The thing all over about the coaching place. at the league, like I wanted to do it, but I felt like it's hard. It's you you would think it's easy for a first rounder or a guy that played multiple years in the league to get a, a NFL coaching job. It's all about who you know. Absolutely, you know what I'm saying. And uh, a lot of these guys who get jobs are they they work with people already, or you know what I'm saying, played in that system type thing. And it's about just waiting. Like I, I, no nobody I know that retired that I played with that's in the coaching has got a coordinator job or something like that. Like, I did the whole little intern thing for a little bit with Washington after I retired. It was cool. It was the, um, damn, what was it? It was like the little minority, the minority coaching thing yeah. program that they had or whatever, where they got to bring in some minority coaches and things like that. And, you know, it gave me a whole perspective on how uh, coaching is in the, on the NFL level. So, yeah, it was cool, though. And that's a great point that you bring up. It is extremely hard for players to make that transition out of the game because, like you said, sometimes the coaches view the players as a certain type of way. And, like, if you're looking at it from, like, all right, I coach this, and you're, not, you're not getting that credit that you're just – you're intellectually Me, just being a up player, I'm just trying to give back. These younger guys that's playing, yeah, I, I can tell you, you know what I'm saying, things about the league on and off the field, yes. everything I went through, you know what I'm saying. But from an older coach – It'll feel like I got, I'm kind of stepping on their toes. You know what I mean? Like I'm telling that's these what they guys try to protect. That's that what they try to protect me. from, right? That's what they try to protect from. And that's why there are those those gaps that need to be filled when players want to jump over because the guys that are kind of holding the, the guys that are holding the gate or they're playing the gatekeepers, there's ulterior motives, right? In a sense of yeah. might feel like you're stepping on their toes or NFL guy coming in, this guy might not listen to me, but like as we've seen with certain coaches that do make that transition and start putting those building blocks in place, when you time you get that knowledge base up, I mean, who knows the game better than people that have kind of played it? And when you get to exactly. the NFL, you're talking, you're talking doctorate level. It's not just 
oh, you're big, fast, or whatever the case may be. Like you're seeing a lot of different schemes from the top offensive and defensive minds in the game of football period mm-hmm. so like if you're that's what you do on 10 hours a day so it, like yeah, there's things yeah. that pick up the athletes pick up from that standpoint that should be given more credit so when we talk about that you know from just an acceleration path and how you can go through the process if you want to get into scouting if you want to get into coaching if you want to get into administration understanding and learning having an opportunity to learn as you're going and getting credit like, mm-hmm. like, so the people that are, you're working with know, like, oh, this person is doing X, Y, and Z as they're going. And it helps modify, I believe, how people operate. That's why I hear we talk about acceleration plans and no fallback plans. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. we know we're going to go. We're going, if I'm spending all my time in this football space, why can't I be at the top of football in the business space or like somewhere in here in coaching? You know, mm-hmm. Nick Saban, these guys make 10 million bucks a year. Just, Easy. <laughs> you know Easy. what I mean? <laughs> and if you, if you look at the resume, it's probably uh, at least three or four other SEC head coaches that have been assistant coaches under Nick Saban. There you go. You know what I mean? So it's all about who you know. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Growing that network, fellas, as you're going through the process, remember, man, like these coaches that are at different schools and when you're getting recruited, don't disrespect that upcoming coach that might be at a small school because you never know where he might move up to and he'll remember that you played him when you were 16 or just being disrespectful or unprofessional about your uh, about your business like phil said earlier with the nil and all these different business dealings going through the recruiting process these are business dealings and people remember how you operate when you do business with them so make sure that you're on point and understanding how to move around the game like phil said giving back to every like to the athletes and what they're doing Know how to move on and off the field and have a capitalization plan. Like you said, Coach Tom Sula showed him where, like, where to make your money in this game and, and focus on that because that's kind of the, the way to capitalize and make yourself some cheese. We talk about using sports as a catalyst. So transitioning oh, yeah. perfect, out of the game. A perfect example of that. Go perfect ahead. example of that. If you tuned into the Chiefs game, Eric Reed kicking the field goal and stuff like that. That's what the NFL is about. The more you can do. The more you can do. <laughs> I got a, my, my guy, Johnson Batamosi, another Merlin guy. Uh, went to Stanford uh, for college, but uh, played with me in Cleveland a little bit. He didn't really see the field too much. On, he, was a, he was a cornerback, but didn't really see the field too much, you know what I'm saying, as a cornerback, you know what I mean, and go out there on defense. But he was a, I would call him a special teams guru. Okay. Yeah. And that's why he's still playing to this day. And still getting that fifty-three man roster money as a special teams guru. You ain't gotta, even though you the best cornerback, this and that. That don't mean you can, uh, you know, what I'm saying that's gonna be you on the on the NFL level. You can go out there and be the best gunner, and that's all they need. And everybody is looking for the best gunners, and you can be a the best gunner for fifteen years if you want, and you gonna make that money. Absolutely, man. That talk about it all the time. That was a transition where I told, I mean, guys getting ready to go into the NFL, like, get that special teams things wrapped around. I was an all time defensive player, like coming out of college. So I didn't play much special teams besides singling guys on punt return and things of that nature. But getting to the league, it's a whole different mindset playing. Oh, yeah. Special teams, man. That's, that's a track meet. It's a graveyard. It's everything in between yeah. out there, man. It's like, yeah. and if you can figure it out, that's the easiest way to keep your man, yourself on a 53-man roster. And I know sometimes sure. I probably was average on special teams. I remember thinking, like, man, I got I to gotta figure this out, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. for real. Special, I mean, I didn't do too much special teams because I was in lineman. But, yeah, uh, yeah if, I, if I could, I would. <laughs> nah, straight up. <laughs> so how's the transition out of the game been for you? 
it's been cool, man. I've been more of a stay-at-home dad now. You know, yeah. when, you know, when I was playing, you know, wifey, you know what I'm saying, she put her little career on uh, on hold, you know what I'm saying, to take care of the kids and stuff while I'm traveling for ball and stuff. Now that I'm retired, man, kind we kind of switched a little bit. So now, you know what I'm saying, I can kind of take care of the, you know, the home and stuff, you know what I'm saying, while she's doing the business side of it. But, I mean, it's cool, man. You got to – it's another thing about life. You got to learn to compromise, man, no. and it's all going to work out in the end. No, that's that's amazing. That's perfect. And you say you're on a podcast now, right, in the in the Cleveland area? You talk about yeah, that a little bit. Yeah, the, sport, the Sports uh, Podcast, uh, sponsored by Bet Jack. And uh, basically, we talk about all Ohio sports, all NFL, and uh, basically uh, about sports betting. And I'm learning every week, you know what I'm saying, about because I don't really bet like that, but I'm still learning every week. Yeah, we'll have that link in the in the we'll have that link in the bio below so you guys check out Phil and his uh episode again to some sports betting. Make sure you put some money, make some money on the lines, get some of that good inside knowledge, bit, man. <laughs> so what's the next mountain that you're uh looking to climb up here in the in the in your just your, your career field? Oh, uh, right now I'm just chilling. I'm I'm I'm, okay. I'm still I'm still, you know, saying trying to and that's one thing, man. You know, being in the NFL you know what I'm saying? You're the top at this and that. But once you retire, it's like you you back to being a rookie again. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to the real world. And uh you you gotta find yourself and you gotta find, you know, what you wanna do. You know, last couple of years since I've been, you know what I'm saying, kinda home mostly, you know what I'm saying? I, I've been breeding breeding my uh, my bullies. And 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 that's basically it. You know what I'm saying? I'm a country guy kinda after being down in Texas and Penn State. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I do my hunting and shooting and stuff. So, you know what I'm saying? I, I do a little bit, man. Live it, live in the dream, man. We talk about using sports as a cast to a career you can bank on. The career that we really want to bank on is that retirement, the leisure life that my man Phil is living. Because that's what we all dream of getting to and having the podcast and having the business that's home and having the whole family life. So congratulations, Phil, to like everything that you accomplished. Sure. And thank you for jumping on the, to the podcast. And just to recap a little bit what he talked about and just like being ready for the process and understand that there's detours along the way that happen and oh, understanding yeah. that you can take multiple visits man have exposure throughout this thing because you're exposed to many different avenues of business sport relationships different cultures like phil's talking about being from a dmv and calling himself a, a country boy because he got a chance to go to texas and all these different type of things but just the experience that we have and the relationships that we build throughout this process can really set yourself up for success and a life that you're looking forward to living you know for the time that you're putting in from the prep years to the college years there's ways that you can make a compound interest in your pocketbooks and in just your personal life so again like and subscribe this uh podcast and this youtube video get a chance check out the football and sports business masterclass and download our recruiting checklist whenever you guys get a chance and uh that would be it man phil appreciate you thanks for appreciate jumping you, on bro no, sure. no doubt Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a Blue Chip Recruiting Checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want to help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good.